passage that we're going to look at today comes from John chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Uh, well, welcome today. So glad to have you. Hope you are having a, just a, a great weekend. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Ridge Church. The passage that we're going to look at today follows hard on the heels of the story that we looked at last week. If you're here last week, you know we looked at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, uh, and the story goes like this. There was these, uh, these, these crowds that came out to him in the wilderness to hear Jesus teach. He taught all day and they ended up uh, hungry. And Jesus said to his disciples, let's feed them. And the disciples were like, with what? And they find some kid that's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, everyone sit down. And, and he prays and he multiplies the fish and the loaves and everyone is fed. It's an incredible miracle. It's this beautiful miracle. But then at the end of that story, something weird starts to happen among the crowd. There's this, this weird sort of thing traveling through the crowd. And it turns out that they're beginning to talk about making Jesus their king by force. And as soon as Jesus catches wind of that, he's out of there. I mean, he sends the crowds home. He decides he's going up the mountain to pray. And, and he sends his disciples away. Because you see, Jesus wants nothing to do with that kind of a thing. And there are people then and there are people now who want that Jesus to be that kind of a king for them. They want a king who will speak interesting and inspiring words to them and give them bread. I mean, they want, they want teaching and bread. They want health and prosperity. They want to know the right things to believe. And then they want an easy life because they have chosen to believe them. And it's much more common than you would think. In fact, sometimes it happens un subconsciously in our own lives. I mean, we say, well, Jesus, I, I put my trust in you. I follow you. I give. I serve. I obey. I pray. I go to church regularly. So you owe me. You owe me a nice, middle-class, fairly easy, comfortable life. Now, you would never say that. That's kind of crass to say. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes, subconsciously, that's the kind of king that we want Jesus to be in our lives. And Jesus flees from those who want him to be that kind of a king. I mean, he, he, he's not interested at all. Not only does he dismiss the crowds, but he says to his disciples, we're getting out of Dodge. Get in the boat. You guys start heading across the water. I'm going to go pray. Listen, don't let that kind of thinking mess with you, right? There are blessings for following Jesus for sure. There is abundant life. There is a joy that you get from following Christ that you won't find anywhere else. But there are out there very persuasive teachers who will take and pick all kinds of verses out of the Bible, out of context, to try to teach you that you deserve to be wealthy and healthy and prosperous. And if you only have enough faith, 
And if you only send them some of your money, then you will live a wonderful, comfortable, beautiful life. Avoid that stuff. That will mess with your brain. That will mess with your life and with your faith in Jesus. And Jesus, he flees from those who want him to be that kind of a king. And so his disciples get into the boat and they begin to head across the sea. And John tells us that halfway across the sea, that they end up in a major storm. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. They, 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 they end up having to take down the sails and they begin to row like crazy so that their little boat doesn't get swamped. And here's the first thing that we see from this story that we're looking at today. And that's this, that storms happen. Storms happen in our lives. The disciples had just seen Jesus do this amazing miracle, this brilliant miracle where he feeds 5,000. And it must have been so powerful for them. I mean, they must have said, look, it, it's happening. People are coming to hear Jesus. They want to know what he has to say. And, and he's doing these amazing miracles. And they must have been thrilled. And now literally hours later, having been obedient to what Jesus told them to do, they find themselves in the middle of this nasty storm in the middle of the night. Storms happen. Sometimes in our lives, we can see the storm brewing on the horizon. But sometimes it just comes up so suddenly that in an instant, our whole life is dramatically changed. And what seems so secure and so certain evaporates before our eyes. I mean, the person that is so important in our life, whom we thought we would walk with for the rest of our days, suddenly just walks out on us or is taken away from us forever. Or in a single conversation, we are told that we have a sickness that will, will rob us of our vitality and our strength for months and years to come. Or in a split second, an injury totally changes our life. Or, or we're called into our boss's office on a Friday afternoon and by Friday evening, we don't have a job anymore. We wonder where, where we're going to be able to pay for the mortgage next month. And, and maybe we see it coming, but often we're just blindsided by it. And now it's dark and it's stormy and it's rough and we're rowing like crazy. Just trying to keep our little boat from crashing. And it's hard. It's hard, especially in our culture. You know, in a Western culture, because of our wealth and our prosperity in this part of the world, we have this, this tendency to, to, be, to, to not expect and to be unprepared for the kind of suffering that most people in the world endure or witness on a daily basis. Because we can protect ourselves with our money and our medicine, and so we think that it shouldn't happen to us. And yet suffering is a suffering is a a universal human experience. And it comes into everybody's life, every single person at some point or another. And because we're in a Western culture, we want it to go away quickly. We just want to deal with it. We just want to take it away so we can get on with all the things that we're doing in our life. But very rarely is that the case. Even for us who follow Jesus deeply, Dustin Schrammick tells about an experience that he and his wife had when their son Owen died. He said they'd been working in the Middle East. She was pregnant. Something went wrong. They literally medevaced her. They flew her from where they were to Istanbul, Turkey, to the finest hospital in the entire region of that world. And there they did everything. And his son was born and he lived for 20 minutes. 
He said for 20 minutes he watched his son kick and squirm. And he said he made one little voice, one, one little noise out of his voice. And then he died. And he says that the pain that he and his, ex, and his wife experienced after that was like nothing they'd ever experienced before. He said they felt so, so alone. In fact, he said a few nights later, his wife got up in the middle of the night and opened the Bible and began to search for comfort and for peace from the word of God and went to bed a few hours later more discouraged than ever because she found none. And he writes, he says, look, he says, of course it was there, but we were hurting so deeply that we couldn't even see it, much less feel it. And he said they struggled with anger towards God. I mean, God had clearly chosen this path that they were on. So fair enough if that's what he chose. But if he chose it for them, why so much pain? Why so much hurt in the midst of what God had chosen for them? And he said all kinds of people. Well-meaning people came to them and said, you just looked at Jesus. You just trust him. You just press into him. You, you read the word. You fight for joy in your life. You get together and pray with, with others. And here's what he writes. He said, we knew that what they said is true and right. Yet we were overwhelmed with grief. It felt hollow and unhelpful. We needed to know that they too had been changed by our pain, that in some sense it was also their pain. You see, we don't love others. We, we don't walk with others in their storms by, by pretending that it's not as bad as it is or by trying to solve it with some quick, pat, theological answer to the problems that are coming in their life. We love them first and foremost by simply being present with them in their pain. And this is the first thing that we see Jesus do. Jesus simply appears to his disciples in the midst of the storm. I mean, there, there is no, I mean, he doesn't just stay up on the mountain and pray. Nor does he wait patiently on the shore and, and yell out glib answers. Just, you know, row harder. You know, dig deeper. If only you prayed more. If only you had more faith. I mean, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus goes and he goes right there with them. Because Jesus, Jesus knows about pain and sorrow and suffering and betrayal. The prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah, that Jesus would be a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. He also said that the Messiah would be Emmanuel, God with us. You see, the incarnation means that God himself came and took on flesh and dwelt among us and he understands pain and sorrow and hurt and suffering. And in the midst of that, he does not abandon us to that. Instead, he comes and is present right there with us. In fact, Jesus, think about that. Think about the very last words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples. You know the last words of someone before they pass away. Now, this wasn't Jesus passing away. He was ascending into heaven. The very last words, you know what he does? He comes, he gives them this, uh, he gives us his great commission. Go into all the world, share the gospel, make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey. But what is the very last thing that he says? Here's what he says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. 
Surely I am with you no matter what happens in your life. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how great the storm is, it can feel like the apocalypse has come and everything in your world is crashing. And the last thing that I want you to know, the thing I never want you to forget, is that I will always be with you. You may not feel it. You may think that he's still up on the mountain praying while you're out rowing, but that's not the case. He's right there with you in the middle of the storm. He's right there with you as you're tossing and turning on your bed in the middle of the night. He's right there with you when you're driving and suddenly the tears come or the panic attack happens. He's right there with you when you replay that event over and over and over in your mind. You say, if only I had, if only I would have, if only I didn't. No, no. He is right there with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And sometimes, sometimes the most practical, the most tangible way that he is present in our lives in the midst of the storm is through other followers of Jesus. You know, here, here at Ridge Church, we're really about three things, about Jesus and community and city. Jesus first and foremost. Above all, we're about knowing Jesus and following Jesus and allowing him to work in our lives and transform us. But we believe deeply in this place that the best way to follow Jesus, the best way to know him, the best way to, to be a follower of his in this world that we are in is to do it together in community to walk together with others. And that's why we continually are talking about the importance of you being in some sort of community with a few others. And the primary way that we do that around here is through our community groups. And those groups, actually, a lot of them are taking a break over the summer. But if you're new around here, if you're just settling into this place, if you're saying Ridge is going to become our home, then this fall you need to get connected into a community group. And we continue to grow, which means that there's a bunch of you or a number of you anyway, who God is calling you to become community group leaders, to give leadership to a small group of people who are going to walk together and follow Jesus together. And we say we're going to walk together because we encourage one another to follow Jesus. We, we impart courage to one another to follow Jesus in this world around us. And we walk in community together because we make friends and we laugh and we hang out and it's fun. But one of the primary reasons why you need to be in a community group is because storms happen. And when you don't know when that storm is coming in your life, you don't know when it's coming in the life of someone else. But our calling is to care for and walk with one another when the storms in our life happen. And one of the primary ways that we do that is simply to be present in the midst of the storm that people are going through. You know, sometimes, sometimes, especially when storms are really bad, when something really terrible happens in someone's life, people say, well, I, I, I don't know what to do now. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say anything, so I'm not going to say anything at all. I just not show up. And they abandon people in the midst of the darkest, most difficult days in their life because they're fearful that they'll say the wrong thing. Don't do that. But then sometimes when they, when they show up, they think, I've got to solve this problem as quickly as I can. And so they start saying, you know, pat, cliche, theological things that are simply, that are true, but are simply not helpful in that moment. When there's a storm in your life, or in the life of, rather, when there's a storm in the life of someone else, the bigger the storm is, 
the more serious it is, the more important it is that you simply show up and shut up. I mean, you just show up, you're like, hey, uh, we brought you some flowers. We're so sorry. And you just listen. And the purpose of being there in that moment is to allow their pain to flow into your life. The purpose of being there in that moment is to siphon off just a little bit of their pain so that you feel some of the pain that they feel. And when a whole community of people comes around someone and they each bear some of that pain and walk away with that pain in their heart, that doesn't end the pain for that person going through the storm, but it eases it in a beautiful and a powerful way. If somebody's walking through a storm, make sure you show up. Don't stay long. Don't say much. You just take on their pain. And if you don't show up, call them up and say, what happened? And when it's done, say, that sucks. I'm so sorry. But you have to be present in their life. You know, the other day, the other day I called up my community group leader and we were chatting about a couple of different things. And he said to me, how was your week? I said, actually, the past week has been terrible. Lots of tension on the home front. Most of it because of my own doing. I was tired. I was stressed. I just, I just told him. He just listened. He's like, yeah, goes like that sometimes. But sure felt good to tell somebody. And to just have somebody that knows me listen and say, yeah, I see it. I know it. It's a powerful thing. It was the grace of Jesus in my life. That 10-minute conversation that we had. Listen, our church, this church, we've said this a number of times, this church is not a sanctuary for saints. In other words, it's not a place where we all gather together and everything's just shiny and we celebrate how good everything is and look at my world is perfect and your world is perfect because of Jesus in our life. That's not the kind of church this place is. Our church is a school for sinners. Our church is a place for people like me who have issues and challenges and hurts and burdens and sometimes storms in my life, in our lives. But we come together. We say, let's walk together. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's care for one another together as we walk through what happens in our life. Because that's what Jesus does. The first thing that Jesus does when the storm comes is he comes and he's simply present in the midst of the storm. And the disciples, they're scared. And so this is what Jesus says. He, look, he doesn't say much, but here's what he says. In verse 20, Jesus says to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Jesus says two things to them. He identifies himself. He says, it is I. And he gives them some instructions. He says, don't be afraid. Now, when he says, it is I... Uh, a little bit of that's lost in translation. In English, that's how it's translated. In Greek, he literally says two words, ego emi. Literally, Jesus says to them, in the standing there in the midst of the storm, he says to them, I am. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that when, that when God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush and, and Moses takes off his shoes and he, he bows down because he's on holy ground and he asks God, he says, who when I go to the, to the Israelites and they want to know who you are, who should I say that sent me? And God's answer is tell them, I am sent you. God's name is I am. It's how he identifies himself. And now Jesus stands before the disciples in the midst of the storm and he says, 
I am. See, in that world, in the ancient world, the sea in general, and storms in particular, were symbols of the uncontrollableness of life. They, they, they symbolized that there were powers at work in their lives and in the world that were un, incomprehensible and uncontrollable. And there was just some things that happened that they couldn't control in their lives. Traveling by sea was much more unpredictable than uh, and, and uncontrollable than traveling by land. And we understand that a little bit, don't we? I mean, uh, earlier this year, I had the chance to go to Hawaii with my family uh, and one day, uh, my son and I, he's 16, we were walking down this beach and we walked a long ways down this beach, but there was like places where there was plants growing and there was rocks and it wasn't easy. And so when we got as far as we could go, my son turned to me and he said, hey dad, let's just swim back. I was like, <laughs> yeah, good idea. Let's swim back because that doesn't sound hard. Uh, and so he started making his way out past these sharp rocks and these crashing waves and so I'm like yeah let's do this so I did too and I ended up uh, cutting my knee I didn't realize it uh, but I, I began to just bleeding a little bit from my knee and uh, and we began to swim but to get out to where we had to go there was this set of rocks that jutted out about 30 or 40 feet so we had to swim 30 or 40 feet out into the ocean before we started to swim along the beach and when I was out there now I realized it's a long ways down and I'm a long ways from the shore. And, and I thought, if I were bleeding, I didn't know I was bleeding, but if I was there, it, it, I mean, you know, a shark can smell a drop of blood from, I think, 200 miles away or some ridiculous, whatever it is. Anyway, I'm out there in the middle of the ocean, and I thought to myself, if a shark comes down, I'm doomed. I mean, if I'm on land and a, and a tiger attacks me, I don't have to worry about figuring out how to breathe. I don't have to, I at least got a place to stand from which I can punch the tiger or, or at least kind of run away. But in the ocean, I can't breathe, I can't move, I can't fight. If a shark comes, I'm basically going to turn and say, like, let's get this over with. Like, just do it now, right? Out of control, no control. That's the picture of a storm. It's a picture in the ancient world. And this is often the case for us when a storm arrives in our life. We're in this water. And, and we realize how little control we actually have over the circumstances in our life. I mean, we think we have way more control than we do. We think that if we eat right and if we exercise properly, that we can make sure that we don't have a lot of health issues. I mean, we think that if we parent our ch children well, that we can guarantee that they're going to turn out all right. We, we, we think that if we are, are, are careful to budget well and invest wisely and save carefully, that we can ensure a safe and sound financial future. I mean, we're sure that if we dedicate ourselves to a good and a loving marriage, that we can secure its health and its permanence. And all of those things are good things to do, for sure. But doesn't mean that we can guarantee the outcome. Hardship, storms in our life force us to face the fact that we assume that we have more control in our life than we actually do have that we take credit for a lot more good things in our life than actually credit is due for us. Of course, the opposite is also true because we, consume, because we assume that we have greater control than we actually have. We blame ourselves for things that we have no power to, to control. I mean, 
A loving wife of an unfaithful husband haunts herself with questions about what she could have done to keep him from wandering away. Good parents blame themselves for the spiritual or relational rebellion of their children. People who have invested in untrustworthy investors kick themselves for being so trusting. Even children, even children have a tendency to blame themselves for the separation of their parents. In all of those cases, we add suffering to our sufferings by assuming power and control that we simply don't have in this world. You see, when the storms come in our life, they force us to face the fact that we have very little control, which means that we end up grieving not only the suffering in our lives, but also grieving then the lack of control that we have in our lives. But out of that, out of that comes an unforeseen and unexpected blessing. When we finally get rid of the delusion in our life that somehow we are in control of it, then finally we can begin to rest in the one who is in control. See, John tells us in this story that Jesus came walking on the water. The Greek word that he uses there could also be translated as strolling. I mean, he wasn't slogging. He wasn't gasping. He wasn't scrambling. He literally was strolling. And not on a calm sea. I mean, don't think about a lake that you'd water ski on. We're talking about a storm. Jesus comes strolling through the midst of the storm because he is in absolute sovereign control over the powers of death and destruction and devastation. Because Jesus is, I am. Jesus is the God of all creation. The God who has always been. There's never been a start to Jesus. He is the one who is. He is the one who always will be. And, 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 and there is nothing. There's never been a moment in all of human history, in all of the history of the universe, that he has not been ultimately in control of. It may not look like it to you. It may not feel like it to you. You may not like how he is in control of the things that he is doing, but he is the I am. He is in sovereign control of every second of the past, present, and future. And you might say, if you're like most people, if you're like me, well, okay, if he's in control, then why? Why the storms in my life if he's in control? Why the pain? Why the, why the suffering? Why, God? And the fact of the matter is, for most people, he never tells you why. He doesn't owe you an answer why. But sometimes even if he did give you the why, you wouldn't understand. You know, there was a, a time when my daughter was one year old where I took her to the doctor. I love that girl so much, I would have died for her. I took my little one-year-old girl to the doctor and I held her in my arms as tightly as I could while the doctor leaned over and picked up a long needle filled with a vaccine, with, with, a, with some vaccine for smallpox or tetanus or some other deadly disease, I don't know. And as I held my daughter in my arms and she looked up in my eyes, that doctor took that needle and stuck it in her arm and began to squeeze and she looked up at me and she screamed in pain and her eyes said, Daddy, how could you? 
Daddy, I thought you loved me. Daddy, I trust you so deeply. How could this be? And in that moment, I wanted so desperately to tell her, sweetheart, it's because, because it'll, it, it'll protect you for, for the rest of your life that we're doing this. But I couldn't. She would never understand. And she just, she just lay in my arms screaming and crying and looking at me. And I just had to be like, it's because I love you. It's because I love you that you're walking through this thing. You know, we don't always get to know why. But we know God's character. That he is infinitely wise and perfectly good. And so we shouldn't interpret these sufferings in our life as evidence of his absence or his weakness or his distance or his lack of care. Your story is going to lead you to places you never dreamed it would go. You're going to travel down roads that you feel totally unprepared to travel on. You'll end up in places far from what you would have ever chosen. And you'll wonder on earth how on earth you ever ended up there. But wherever your story takes you, wherever it is that you end up finding yourself, you will not be the first there because Jesus will already be there in his sovereign presence and his power in your life. And he will be in control. And his rule and his reign will be sovereign over all that happens. Here's the second thing that John points out to us about Jesus. And that says, Jesus is, I am. He is the mighty God. He is sovereign and control right in the middle of the storm that you find yourself in. So Jesus, he speaks to the disciples. He identifies himself. He says, I am. But then the other thing he says, don't be afraid. And again, in Greek, it's simply two words. It's simply no fear. Because you see, fear is an important, it's a God-given gift for us. Fear is what keeps you from walking off the cliff and dying. But if you, when that, that immediate moment of danger is over, if you continue to live in fear, if you allow fear to become the God that rules your life, Man, that will twist your world in all kinds of ways. So for instance, the person who lost his job begins to focus on his failures and his weaknesses and his fear that it will happen again keeps him from ever going out and getting another job. The mother who lost a child in pregnancy when she's pregnant again, instead of being filled with joy for that pregnancy and excited about it, if she lives in fear, she, she misses all the joy of that pregnancy because she's fearful again. The guy who's betrayed by his closest friend, if he lives in fear, never comes to the place where he can have deep and meaningful friendships again because he's so fearful that maybe it'll happen again. person who's scammed is fearful and never can trust someone again because somebody took their money. You see, fear troubles our troubles. It is a cruel God to live under. And our natural tendency when the storms come in our life is to focus on the storms, to fixate on those storms. And the storms get bigger and bigger and scarier and scarier until they begin to dominate everything that we see around us. We see all of life through that storm. And our fears trouble our troubles. 
and begins to suck the joy and the peace and the goodness out of the rest of that part of our life and sometimes out of all of our lives. And at the same time that fear makes that bigger and bigger in our life, it makes our God smaller and smaller and smaller. Until we, we, we see him as being impotent and incapable of doing anything in our life. And now we realize that we're not in control of our life and we begin to think that God isn't in control either. And that is a very scary and hopeless place to be. People don't often realize that in the midst of this storm that their, that their functional theology, what they actually believe changes from their formal theology. In other words, if you were to ask them, what do you believe? They say, well, I believe that God is, you know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is sovereign over all. That's their formal theology. But their functional theology begins to believe that God is not in control. That God isn't capable. And the danger is that they begin to, to see all of the world through that mindset. And Jesus comes and he says, I am. No fear. I am God. I am the sovereign over all. So you have to stop being afraid. You have to shift your view from the storm to me. You have to stop seeing me through the, the lens of the storm and instead start seeing the storm through the lens of who I am. Because it will give you new eyes to see it. It will give you a measure of peace in the midst of your storm. Because Jesus is this, this is the third thing we see. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But to do that, you have to choose to trust him. You have to, to choose to, 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 to let go of the fear in your life. This is what John says. He says this about the disciples. They were frightened. In the middle of the storm, they were frightened. And Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. I am no fear. And then he has this line. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Jesus is present right there with them in the storm. And he says, look, I am the sovereign God. I'm in control. But they have to say, okay, Jesus, come in the boat. No fear. Uh, I, I'm going to trust you now that you're in control. And when they did, then, it, it, then, then, then they, the storm subsided and they ended up on the other shore. Look, if this storm is raging in your life today, a little storm, maybe a major storm, maybe you're in the, the, the middle of the greatest hurricane of your life. Wherever you find yourself, I want to tell you this. Jesus is right there with you. He understands. He knows pain and he knows sorrow. He will never leave you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But he is also I am. He is the God who is not only sovereign over all of the universe, over every star of the billions and trillions of stars out there, but he is sovereign over your life. He is sovereign in your circumstances in what happens in your life today and tomorrow and next week and in the months and the years to come. And he offers you peace, a confidence. Not, not, not the peace of polka dots and rainbows and lollipops and pastel colors, not that kind of peace. No, no, he offers you the kind of, the kind of solid place to stand in the midst of a storm. 
He offers you the loving arms of God the Father who will hold you tightly even in the midst of the storm, even as you're crying out and you say, I don't understand why, but I know that you are good and a loving God, so I will trust you. You see, this is a much better understanding of the kind of king that Jesus is. Of course, a king who speaks the truth. Of course, a king who pours blessings into our life, who feeds the 5,000, who, who, who does kind and gracious things for our life. But much more than that, he's the king who will ride with you and be with you through the fiercest storms in your life and see you to the other side. That's the kind of king worthy of worship. That's the kind of king worthy of giving your life to. That's the kind of king that you should follow no matter where he leads you and where your life goes because he will never leave you no matter what happens. Would you bow your heads with me? Let, let's pray. Well, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that you sent him into this world that he knows about suffering and pain and hardship and sin and brokenness. And he, he understands the kind of impact that it has on our lives. And God, I pray today for each person who is experiencing a storm in their life, a little one, a big one, a hurricane, where, whatever it is, Lord, may they just know your presence. And may they rest in your sovereignty and, and may you bring a peace into their life because of who you are, because of what you've done, because Jesus himself suffered the ultimate storm on the cross, endured your wrath to set us free, to give us life, to allow us to be in a relationship with you. And so God, we pray this day, I pray this day for my brothers and sisters that they would know that peace in the middle of this storm because of you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming and being with us again today. I hope that you are encouraged and strengthened as you follow Jesus, no matter what happens in your life. I want to end by reading you the words of the prophet Isaiah, spoken hundreds of years before Jesus, but pointing to Jesus. Here's what he writes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is who we follow. The Messiah that was prophesied years ago. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the great I Am. May you go in the peace and the confidence of who he is. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.